hello. I must be going. I cannot stay. I came to say I must be going. I'm glad I came, but just the same, I must be going. Stay a week or two. I'll stay the summer through. But I am telling you, I must be going. The Marx Brothers Council Podcast presents the Jay Hopkins Interviews, Volume 2, Aaron Fleming. Hello again, everyone. This is Bob Gassell. Matthew and Noah are not with us today. They've been uh, temporarily suspended for liking room service, perhaps just a bit too much for my liking, but uh, they'll be back soon. Anyhow, welcome to the second installment of Vintage Interviews conducted by Jay Hopkins, one of the founders of the legendary Marx Brotherhood fan club. Today, we're featuring Jay's 1979 talk with the infamous Aaron Fleming, who served as Groucho's secretary, personal assistant, manager, partner, whatever. And for better or for worse, was greatly responsible for keeping Groucho in the public eye in his final years. She later became embroiled in a legal dispute with Groucho's son Arthur over his conservatorship and was eventually removed from the household a few months before Groucho's death in August of 1977. There were later more legal battles and Aaron started displaying mental instability, ending up destitute and homeless, and eventually taking her own life in 2003. However, in this interview, she seems quite pleasant and coherent, uh, if not a bit opinionated. Uh, you make up your own mind. Anyhow, uh, let's first bring in the man himself, Mr. Jay Hopkins. How are you doing today, sir? I am doing very well. How are you? Good, good. Thanks again for joining us. So give us a little background here on this interview. How did you first come in contact with Aaron? Years before I ever had any plans to meet Aaron Fleming, I decided to look up her address and phone number in the Los Angeles phone book. And uh, not knowing that I would have any use for it really, but um, I did actually write her a supportive letter at one point. And then years later, I decided to fly out to Los Angeles. And I thought, well, why not give it a shot and see if she'll receive me? And oddly enough, she did. I imagine at this time she must have been quite wary of media coverage. Uh, how did you gain her trust? This was in 1979, so that would have been two years after Groucho passed away. And I guess that letter of support may have helped in that regard. And I don't have a very per pushy personality. <laughs> That's hard to say, mm -hmm. pushy personality. Mm -hmm. But um, maybe that's what um, engaged um, a level of trust. So what was your take on her as a person, really? Well, she was very cordial to me. And in the conversation itself, she, uh, you know, she would say some flattering things about me. At one point, she suggested that had I been around... When Andy Marks was cataloging the quiz show, that I could have been um, part of that process. Mm -hmm. There's no reason for her to to even think that, but she was just being polite, you know. 
Oh, yeah. You sounded like you were going to wet your pants when she said that. Uh, <laughs> I'm afraid you might be correct about that. I've, I've, I've changed them subsequently. <laughs> <laughs> but you have the other ones framed it up in your room. You got that right. It's a very odd uh, piece of uh, mem- memorabilia. But I'll take what I can get. Okay. On that note, let's take a listen to Jay's March 23rd, 1979 talk with Aaron Fleming. Here it is. Well, maybe we could start talking about, you know, when Groucho first hired you as secretary and what went on from that point. Well, there wasn't much to tell. He felt he was completely washed up and that he couldn't get a job and all that stuff. And I said he thought he was crazy. He was the most important man in show business. This is about when? 60... No, no. This was 1971 when I started to work for him. Oh, really? I see. The summer of 71. I didn't want to work for him, in fact. Hmm. He had a terrible reputation for chasing ladies around and stuff, and Mm -hmm. I just didn't want to put myself in that position. Mm -hmm. And uh, after a few days, very shortly after I said I would work, I said, look, you know, I'm your secretary. You don't have to make a pass at me. And he was tremendously relieved. (laughs) The pressure was gone. Yeah. Yeah. Most people misunderstood that part about him. He felt on not only to make laughs, but to make passes, I suppose. So. Yeah. I'm recovering, you know. Um, they say grief is a healing process and not a disease. I read Hector's book. I was, I was really, I think, pretty much recovered from losing Groucho. And then I read Hector's book and it brought it back. Oh. And I went bananas again, just really? weeping. And I shouldn't have read it, but how could I do that to Hector? And I always kept my distance from Hector. We had a going uh, battle. And he knew this, this, this floor much better than I did because he'd been over there talking to them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I wish he would have told me or warned me or something. He um, seems like he, he really tried really hard to be passive about the whole thing, and objective. He couldn't. He loved Groucho. Yeah. Well, it's he impossible, I guess. What was the deal with Charlotte Chandler or, or whatever her name She's is? She's a wonderful woman. Hector doesn't like her. Huh? But that's professional. Yeah. I think actually they like each other. Oh. But if you notice, the two books are compatible insofar as she just goes so far. Mm-hmm. And then his seems to pick up. Mm-hmm. And hers is much more of a... It's a different... Yeah, well, um, it's just, you know, Groucho at dinner or whatever. It's not as analytical as yeah. Hector's. Yeah. It's got his place, I think. Oh, I think so. I think that conversation with Cosby is great. Isn't that fabulous? It's really funny. All of that is taped. She has uh-huh. hours and hours and hours of tape. Just oh, yeah, I'd love to get my hands on those tapes. In fact, I said sometime when I'm better, Charlotte, I would like to have copies of those. Mm. You read the book then? Oh, certainly. And I've done a bit of publicity for her. Oh. Just a small bit, because mm, I never was crazy about the publicity. Yeah, yeah, I can understand that. Well, I was going to ask you what um, some of the memorable moments of memorable moments working for Groucho was. Um, Not necessarily just the the public ones like Animal Crackers, but, you know, like when he had people over. Well, her book captures that so well, I mean... She there more or less all the time from 73 or something? She would come in for 
like spaces of time. She'd stay at the Beverly Hills Hotel. Mm -hmm. And she'd visit every day. She might be here for three or four weeks or two months or something like that. She seems to have a bit of dough. Mm -hmm. She has a wonderful knack of staying completely in the background. Yeah, you can tell from reading those interviews. Cosby, I think, said uh, Charlie, she doesn't say anything. Yeah, she doesn't. Mm. She's wonderful. She takes notes and she has a little tape recorder and she just is very, very polite about the whole thing. And uh, she spent a great deal of time with us. There's another uh, instance where I stayed out of the way as much as I could. It's a good idea. Yeah. Interesting book came out as a result. Mm-hmm. How does that suit stand over the scrapbook? Was that ever resolved or just kind yeah. of ignored? No, it's never been resolved, and Groucho spent a fortune in legal fees, and I wish they would have gone after that. I mean, that would have been worthwhile. Because mm -hmm. we know that 89,000 copies were sold in hardcover up until a certain point. We have testimony and all kinds of things, and I mean, that, that would make sense to me, to go after stuff where there's money. Yeah. But to go after me, because the cook says, Oh! <gasps> Oh, that bitch! I just know she's got millions in Switzerland! <laughs> With his blue eyeshadow and his five sets of eyelashes. He was funny. He thought has, he was oh, yeah, right. I forgot. John. Yeah. I mean, he thought he was going to get a part in the Hollywood Squares out of this. He didn't know. <laughs> I mean, he's, he's just not sensitive. Mm -hmm. I mean, he wasn't sensitive to the fact that Groucho would die. Well, that's the whole thing. No one seems to have cared. Oh, I certainly care. Died too. Yeah, I know. And so did Zeppo. And Gummo did. Yeah, that's right. And then Groucho couldn't be told because of how he felt. He wasn't even told of. Gummo had a heart attack because of everything. That's why he died. Oh, God. That's what happened. Terrible. Well, let me ask you about the Animal Crackers campaign. Was that one of Groucho's great satisfactions that that was finally well, released? Well, you know. Well, we were always just looking for uh, for monkey business to get into. You know, I mean, we spent many years together alone mm -hmm. before we had help, before we had nurses, before we used to have just the morning nurse because he would be down here. He, he had a key. He would be down here at 9 o'clock in the morning. Oh, really? barking at me, hmm. and I would have been there until one o'clock the night before, and I was darn tired, and finally the doctor said, you know, I think we should get a little LVN in the morning, take mm -hmm. that pressure off of you, so that I would try to arrive just at lunch unless I had business with him. I loathe the business part. I'm not a businesswoman at all. I never have been, and he, of course, thought I was wonderful, mm -hmm. and just because I could remember everything. Well, that's helpful, certainly. Yeah. I was like his. I said this in my deposition the afternoon, what my function was. <laughs> I said, I was like a little memory computer. It was like walking cue card insofar as he would say, who was the lady I Yeah, could? yeah. And I could tell him the name. And that was invaluable to him because it just took that strain. From 1973, I think, until we had about four years that were so glorious and golden, the two of us. Mm -hmm. 
there were other people around, but we talked to each other yeah. in our own language. And, and then, of course, they weren't always with us. He would dismiss the nurse and so on. And, and we just, he bloomed. He was so healthy. And his skin mm. was so radiant and so rosy. And he, he was happy. He, mm -hmm. he said they were the happiest years of his life. Many times. Too. And we really were happy in a way that I just don't know. I mean, I'm still young. I, I just can't imagine having that kind of closeness, that kind of intimacy. Not, as I have <laughs> said before, there are far greater intimacies than sexual ones. It's the kind of intimacy of complete trust and total love. Mm -hmm. And the company of a man, of a, the, the, a pair, you know? Well, he was so depressed, right, when Eden left until you came along? Yes, he was. He was very alone. Yes, he was. So you had a lot to take over for. And, um, well, you know, he wasn't one to let a person take over. Ever. Well... He was always the boss. That's right. He, um... But you had a certain space to fill in his life since he was alone. He certainly needed somebody at that time. I don't understand how he could have been so alone. And I don't understand how anyone could allow their father to live in a house the way that house was. I mean, the maid Is it had the same house on Hillcrest? Yeah. We wow. started to decorate and fix it up. In fact, the yeah. decorator's coming over here today. It yeah, just, it, looked, it looked fabulous. I oh. saw it in House Beautiful. It was quite a Yeah. Spread. And that wasn't so expensive. It was mostly just backgrounds and broadloom. I mean, they weren't mm. obusan carpets. We did it cheaply, right. you know. But the shape the house was in, I was appalled and said so. I mean, I'm, when it comes right down to that, I mean, I just said, I just think this house stinks, it's terrible. I mm. loathe every inch of it. And, I mean, you've just got to do something about it. What do you mean, what's the matter with my house? <laughs> I said, well, I just, this is not the way I keep house, mm. you know? Mm -hmm. Well, there wasn't a woman there for quite a while. Well, he had Martha. Martha seemed oh. to just try to do as little as possible. Oh, really? Get the dinner on, and that's it. Mm -hmm. And a big, fat, hugely fat Mexican maid who never did anything but sit in a chair. She <laughs> never dusted. She never swept. Mm. So I wasn't very popular with them because the place was filthy. Filthy. Yeah, I guess whenever you have to discipline people to get in line or to do what they're supposed to be doing, you're going to be unpopular. And they were very well paid. Mm. And better I should do it than he, because once it was pointed out to him that there might be dust, he went bananas, you know, dust that table, and they'd shake for a week. <laughs> <Really>? <laughs> they shake enough, they won't have to dust much. <laughs> we know we had many cooks. I think that... that Robin was there for quite Robin, a while. Robin was fabulous. Robin's a great beauty and a fabulous cook. We couldn't keep Robin. Robin wants to be in business. Robin. Oh, really? Robin doesn't want to be stuck in a house full-time. I mean, that's a grinding ordeal. She's not a domestic. Mm -hmm. You know, she's a free spirit with a good college education, and now she's got a roaring business and a catering business in Santa Monica. <laughs> she has all the movie locales. And really? I mean, she's, yeah. I mean, we couldn't possibly pay her what she was worth, for mm -hmm. one thing. Someone like that is just, is, is part of the family. I mean, it's ridiculous. You can't even, we just had her on weekends.
months, and then oh. she would come and fill in when different ones would go on vacation and mm -hmm. so on. And the other ones always hated her because she was gorgeous. I mean, this is like having a Ph.D. Yeah, right. I can imagine. And uh, I just kept saying to her that you're just too good for this job. We can't pay you enough. I don't know what to do. We want to help you in business or get you a part in a movie or something. <laughs> and it's true. Mm -hmm. When she was there, I never had to worry. It was like a real intelligence. Oh. So, undoubtedly, she was Groucho's favorite um, cook? cook. Oh, yes. Well, she was intelligent. Mm -hmm. The others were just kind of lazy or whatever. Oh, my dear. Poor cooks. No. They were no, adequate. No, but the, the average cook, the average person who wants to be a domestic in Hollywood is either an itinerant, whatever you call him, from Mexico without the papers, <laughs> or uh, they see it as a step towards glamour, mm. because that's why they go to Beverly Hills and mm -hmm. then they all want to work for a star. Mm -hmm. Or there are, you know, there are various sort of problems, and, and one has to keep a distance from them. You know? yeah, I mean, right. they are, after all, and we tend to, to be more than generous and to include them in parties and so on, because stars would come, and, mm -hmm. and they would be so stage-struck or star-struck, we got a big kick out of that, because people we didn't think were the least bit important they thought were tremendously glamorous and grouchy, just sometimes fairly faint with laughter. Mm, I mean, funny. John would bring out his autograph book and get the autographs of some of the weirdest people. <laughs> I mean, people, I mean, who had never been asked for their autograph before. Yeah. I guess you'd assume that anyone in Grouch's house would have to be a celebrity or something close to it. John was actually very funny. Can I get you something to drink? I've just finished. This is my breakfast. Oh, well, sure. What have you got? Well, uh, Water? I don't know. I've got all kinds of juices. Who drew this sketch of Harpo here? A child sent that in. Oh, really? Many children sent things like that. There were several that were just astonishingly gorgeous. Just yeah, gorgeous. Yeah, well, you had so much, you didn't know what to do with it. Yeah. Did you change that, uh, that little bulletin board you had uh, weekly or something? Well, Steve had that in his oh, little yeah. cubbyhole. Yeah, I, I used know. to have that in the office. Then I had Dina, you know, working for me. Hmm. The work got a bit oh, She was your secretary? Yeah, I, not full time. Mm -hmm. Just when the load was really particularly heavy, if we were doing a big charity event, mm -hmm. or if we were having a few of those huge parties for various reasons, and... And she really could crack them into line. Did they ever hate it? But it took tremendous pressure off me. Oh, I can imagine how busy it would have been. Oh, oh. I don't mean that. I, I don't mean the busyness. No, I still had the amount of that to do. I mean, in keeping the employees in line. It was like mm. the person who was the step between. I mean, Groucho and I would be in the back, and we'd hear Dina at the cracking away at the gardener to get those flowers mm. in today, you know. We were darn glad she was doing it instead of us. <laughs> must have quite a staff there. Came there and he was alone. Eventually it must have been, what, a couple dozen people? No, no. No, not that no. many? Just... No. There was, at the end, there was some, we always had a cook. Mm -hmm. And um, a maid to clean, because mm -hmm. cooks don't clean. Mm. Cooks don't do dishes. Cooks. I don't know. do windows, yes, right? So that was the staff, mm -hmm. and then we had to have nurses around the clock. 
We had Cooper for years. She was an RN, British, <coughs> trained, Jamaican. Mm-hmm. Wonderful woman with a fabulous sense of humor. Mm-hmm. Then the afternoon nurse was Barbara from the last three or four years. She was the chief of nurses. And the morning nurse was a revolving door. Mm. Always the biggest problem in my life was, you know, they wouldn't show up and stuff like that, too. Barbara wouldn't show up. You had to tolerate these people? I mean, why didn't you just, you know, keep getting new nurses or whatever? How many? I mean, I must have gone through 200. Yeah, it is a problem. Listen, and better, we got onto this thing of, of firing. Better I should fire them than he. He would fire them when they were walking down the street and they'd get in the car and leave him there. Oh, God, it's hard to believe. Well, you should only have met him in the morning. <laughs> Maybe it wouldn't have been so hard to believe that. <laughs> He's pretty grouchy the rest of the time. Lives up to his name, that's for sure. Oh, he was a darling. He was a saint. He was actually a saint. And he was perfectly entitled to his rage. Old men get into rage, as Goddard Lieberson said that to me early on. Mm. And, and that's right, they do. And they're damn well entitled to it. They have. There's a wonderful poem by, I think it's either Yeats or Dylan Thomas. Rage, rage against the dying of the light. Do not go gentle into that good night. <laughs> do you know that poem? No, I'm afraid I don't. Sounds very nice. Oh, it's wonderful. And that's exactly what he was doing. He was raging over the fact that he was antique and wanted to be 20 again. Mm. So he really did have a problem there. Well, it wasn't a problem. We just coped. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess all your life you're tolerating people and raising a family or whatever. And when you get old, you're entitled to, you know, Market people and Couldn't get your own way. Do you have any idea what it's like to be that public a figure? And mm-hmm. um, one word that resounds around the world wherever he goes, without any privacy whatsoever, even in his own home. Mm-hmm. The pressure of that. For an old man, even for a young man. For a young man, for anyone, for a human being. Yeah. Especially a very, very, very sensitive man. A man who retreat, retreated into his study and read for hours and hours and just wanted a little good company and sparkling conversation mm-hmm. and affection. Mm-hmm. Is that the principal thing that he needed? Affection? Genuine affection. Yeah. I don't mean hugging and kissing yeah. out of affection, although yeah. I don't mind saying I used to sit on his bony old knees and read the paper with him. But, um, <laughs> I mean the kind of affection it's, it's companionship, like a marriage. Mm-hmm. Sure. I always considered you, you know, more or less a fourth wife, but even more so. I mean, even a wife. Uh, a wife doesn't mean anything. It's just a piece of paper. But someone like you who, you know, really cares about someone enough to take care of them last stages well, of their life. You took care of me, too. It was mutual. I have many problems. I mean, all, all young women do. And we shared all of those things. I said in my deposition, I don't believe I have any secrets from him at all. I can't think of anything. We would talk over everything. And share everything. I mean, sharing disappointments and his failing health and different problems and things and trying to Oh, to cope with age. 
Not to fight it, but to cope with it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I guess that's the basis of any successful marriage, sharing. Mm-hmm. I can't begin to tell you the sweetness of this man, the sweetness of him. It's, it's just beyond all words. I don't believe I've ever met such a human being. Mm-hmm. Or I don't know if I could ever. Again, I hope so, and I know he wished for me to have a good marriage and children and all of those wonderful things. But, I mean, just as an example, we'd be going somewhere out to dinner with friends of his, which was bloody boring for me, I can tell you mm. that. The older friends, you mean? Yes, but, you know, we'd also go out with the younger crowd, too, mm-hmm. so, because he knew that I would be... I mean, they were wonderful people to meet, but... Yeah. I'm just... You're not I, part I, of their no, crowd. No, and, and, and they didn't accept me. You know, I mean, they understood that I was with him, and they they accepted me, but uh, not... They didn't comprehend the relationship. It's not an easy thing to do. No. So I would have to dress for those occasions. Oh, right. And so I'd, it would be six o'clock, and I'd say, I'll be back at seven. And I'd dash home and change into something appropriately glamorous, which is hardly my style, because I love to just knock around in, you know, skirts and sweaters and mm-hmm. jeans and stuff. And when I would go back at seven and open the door, he'd be sitting on a little front settee, all dressed in his super tailored suits with his little necktie or his little uh, turtleneck or whatever, and his mm-hmm. beret. There was a glow about him that... that uh, like the Queen of England. I don't know whether you've ever seen her. Yes. There's something about her, you know, that, that glows. Yeah. People describe Harville the same way. He certainly loved Harville. Yeah, I know. Oh, I'm curious about how he handled fans. And did people ever come up to his house yes. out of the blue? Yes. What kind of a situation was that? Sometimes he'd be wonderful and sometimes he'd be terrible. Just depends. And if he was terrible, they even enjoyed that, right? Sometimes not. One time we gave an interview. Two kids came in, and for some reason, he just took after them. Hmm. They asked him how to get started in showbiz. Oh, boy. And that did it. He just said, you know, I don't have to do this. Just kind of, there was a creepiness factor, too. You know, if they were sort of dirty and shabby looking, he didn't want them in the house. And if they were, you know, like nice little girls, you know, yeah. Nice little boys for that man. Mm-hmm. So many people kind of assumed the familiarity with Groucho, too. Yes, they did. Hello, Groucho. I've always wanted to mm-hmm. meet you. Who is this person? Yeah. You know? What is he doing? Yeah, but that was, that was done in, with mirth. Oh. That kind of insult. There was a twinkle in his eye. <laughs> there was no question but that he was, he was kidding. And they treasured those remarks, too. Yeah. People misunderstand that, many people, because they just didn't... I don't know, they, there's some sort of an awe about movie stars here, I don't know. I know. It's I'm traveling with two friends of mine, and it seems that all we've done since we came out here is drive through Beverly Hills. You know, this is so-and-so's house, or this was so-and-so's mm. house. We went to Fox yesterday, and what they did there, since they couldn't find any stars in particular, we were walking around, and we'd find parking spaces. You know, this is Alan Alda's parking oh, space. Just think, you know. So what? He drives a car like everyone else. Mm, goes to the bathroom. Yeah. 
So I actually, Groucho was very funny when when he was being uh, a rascal. It's just that, quite frankly, the difficulty in finding a nurse or nurses who were bright is damn near impossible. Mm-hmm. Especially uh, that volume of nurses. They didn't have to be RNs, you see, just the night nurse. Mm-hmm. And they had to be pretty, and they had to have a sense of humor, mm-hmm. and they had to be reasonably intelligent. And if they said something that he thought was stupid, that was that. We had one who was an absolute dumbbell, who <laughs> treasured. She was on on weekends, Linda. He just treasured her, because she was so silly, funny, and being absolutely straight. She always reminded me of the lady in duck soup, the one who's a spy for the other country and wears a black sequin gown. Do you mm-hmm. remember that lady? Yeah, Raquel Torres. Or Raquel Torres. She was just like that, that kind of <laughs> kookiness. <laughs> it's been great. Perfect I'd hear them. I'd be in the office and I'd hear them arguing about something. <laughs> and the logic of her was so... Peculiar. Almost Gracie Allen. Well, not that, not that, that sharp. That. Mm. Not that sharp. That sharp. No. He used to call me Gracie Allen, but I played that part. <laughs> he had to play Margaret Dumont's part too. Whenever he reprised um, Rick oh. Captain Spaulding or anything, you were always there oh. with the backup. Yes, we had a number of people who were Bud, who lived in the house, Bud Court was part of the Peasy Weezy Gang. Oh, Robin was in the Peasy Weezy Gang. I wish I could have heard Peasy Weezy because it's such a oh, legend. Peasy Weezy was a big number. <laughs> that was the beginning of the show that we did mm-hmm. a couple of nights a week. And then we would have whoever was the dinner guest would have to go on, or guests. <sighs> really? Say, oh, yes. Did and they rehearse for this? Or just, you know, no, you're but not. they knew. Oh. It was accepted. Oh, Buddy Knockett, Sammy Davis. Oh. Bob Dylan, tremendous numbers of people. Mm-hmm. Uh, a wonderful, wonderful performance. Sammy Davis tap danced on the coffee table. Oh, really? <laughs> Jimmy Conn, Elliot Gould was a regular. Mm-hmm. Elliot would sing various songs from Broadway shows. Mm-hmm. And Elliot was very good also about finding people oh. uh, who Groucho wanted to meet. Mm-hmm. That was a very difficult job. Actually, that was Bud's job. Bud wasn't there all the time. He would go off to make a movie and stuff. See, Groucho would read about people like the Rolling Stones or Bob Dylan and, and say to me, I, I, I want to invite him to dinner. Mm. I want to see what this guy is. Yeah. Well, I didn't know them. So you it left it up to people like... It would be very, very awkward for me to phone. You see, I could mm-hmm. phone and say, Mr. Marks would like to, but it seemed as if maybe I wanted to meet them. Yeah, yeah. Whereas Bud, being the social creature that he is, knows everyone, or if he doesn't, he knows someone who does. Mm-hmm. And he performed a very, very important function in that household. He was actually the social convener. Occasionally he would overstep his bounds and invite a few people who Groucho hadn't heard of or whatever, and he'd get a darn good scolding from Groucho, so that mm. we had to go over lists of I mean, everything with Groucho. Everything had to be... Before they arrived? Before they were invited. Mm-hmm. And uh, who they were and what they'd done and if they would mix. Mm-hmm. He, would, he would put the most incredible people together. 
I can imagine. And then Henry was there the last couple of years. He was a student. He's still a student at uh, Cal Arts. Mm -hmm. And he took it upon himself. That's Henry Colas? Yeah. Very bright boy. To re-record Groucho's whole career in radio, which we've done. Oh, really? Wasn't John Tefteller working on John Tefteller. John Tefteller found the stuff. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Did he make some kind of arrangement... Um, he promised to release it all once it's all found and documented or something. For the Smithsonian. Oh, for the Smithsonian. Mm -hmm. It was part of the Smithsonian collection. Mm. Well, they wanted to, they, the kids wanted to uh, syndicate radio. They thought it would be good for that. Mm. We were going to do that, in fact, before the fuss started. Oh, yeah, I, I heard that you were going to come out with a flywheel record or something. Yeah, there were several things like that. Yeah, and what about, weren't you planning on, well, there was the You Bet Your Life movie. Yeah. And was there a Life of the Marx Brothers or Life of Groucho or something planned also? There's so much footage. I mean, uh, I, I'm not really capable of doing it, you know, so it would have to be, and may well be done by the fellows running the corporation now, who is an attorney, the only attorney Groucho really ever had any respect for a young fellow named Bob Finkelstein. Mm -hmm. And Groucho always said he's the only lawyer we ever had who knew how to write a contract. Mm -hmm. And also who had the taste to know what was trashy and what was tasteful. Mm -hmm. So part of the settlement is that Finkelstein will run the corporation, which releases me from my promise. I mean, uh, I totally trust his judgment, and so did Groucho. I never dreamt that they would agree to someone like that. Mm. But they have, and he's uh, now gone with management three. I don't really know too much about them. I know they have George Burns, though, and they mm. handle John Denver and different people like that. Mm -hmm. I don't think they've handled anyone who's departed before. And it's kind of a difficult uh, territory. Elvis Presley's death created new precedents. But you see, Groucho didn't want that. He didn't mm -hmm. want that souvenir thing at all. Good. That's exactly the point of the corporation, to prevent any crap like that. Mm -hmm. He just... The Marx Brothers are, are too great yeah. for that kind of... Things can really get out of hand oh, yeah. so easily. The intelligence of the Marx Brothers is, is exactly what Groucho was attempting to preserve. Mm -hmm. Because children love them, but they're really for adults. Mm -hmm. They're great learning tools, in a way, the Marx Brothers, if you can call a person a tool, insofar as they teach children puns and... and so many friends of Groucho, not just the Marx Brothers themselves, are very literate. Mm -hmm. They're writers. I was close friends for writers, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. which you know, shows a lot for Mm -hmm. Their comedy style, if not for their own personalities. And of course, Woody Allen and Dick Cavett, I think oh, yeah. those two closest young friends. Mm -hmm. Did Woody see him very often? Not towards the last, but we did see Woody fairly often, and they used to correspond. Oh. Woody's been very busy. Oh, yes. One well, you were in his film, other. right? I was in one. Yeah. Yes, I went to Paris to be in Love and Death. And uh, sat there, went to wardrobe, got the wigs, got the gowns, 
Finally, I was called, went to the set, which was in some kind of a palace. It was fabulous mm. with an orchestra. We started shooting, and it started to snow. And Woody said, my God, snow. <gasps> At last we could do the something or other scene where they shoot each other. <laughs> what would you call That's dueling? right, a duel, yeah. Well, the whole crew disappeared completely. I went back to the hotel. I sat there, Groucho phoning me. When are you <laughs> Finally, I said to Woody, I'm going home. You'll have to find someone else. Mm. So then in all this questioning, this business about why weren't you in the movie... You really weren't going to be in the movie. You were going to put $400,000 in a bank in Switzerland. Mm. I said, well, that's very interesting. You can ask Woody where I was because they had to know where I was at every moment in case it stopped snowing, you know. <laughs> right. Such a nonsense. Yeah. Well, you, you did end up in uh, a movie based on Ruben's book. Mm-hmm. I, Not really based on Ruben's book, well, just the title. yeah, that's right. It's Actually, Elliot Gould owned that. He bought that. Oh, really? And Woody bought it from him, yeah. Oh, it's a great idea. Yeah. Elliot is a very, very, very bright man. Mm-hmm. He met Groucho, oh, I guess in the 50s when he was a star on Broadway. Mm-hmm. So they were friends before I came along. Oh. Hmm. Didn't realize that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. When Groucho went to New York, um, who were some of the people that he made a point to see? Oh, Betty Comden and Adolph Green, mm. who loved the musicians. Mm-hmm. Goddard, of course, would arrange everything. He right. would go to a lunch on the top of CBS, and Goddard would sort of sit there and plan an itinerary. You know? No. Uh, being very careful not to tire him. Again, there was somebody outside planning his... No, he would just say, I think you should see this play or that play, and this person wants to see him. Mm-hmm. And I would then be obliged to make the appointments and so on. Mm. Oh, different people. Cabot. Cabot, always. Woody. He loved the fellow who produced the show at Carnegie Hall, Ron Delson. Oh. They got along wonderfully, and he always had to see him. Uh-huh. Oh, various old friends. Uh, he loved Arthur Whitelaw. Arthur, in fact, lived in Cynthia House for about a year and a half. And played the piano on call for all of those dinners, yes. night after night. <laughs> we had a battery of piano players, but Arthur was always so gracious. Mm-hmm. Such a nice man. I remember seeing him often. What was the um, Carnegie Hall thing like? How did it come about? Chaos. Was it? Totally. I remember the projector broke down or something. The it, agent brought the wrong film. He did? Oh, I God. remembered someone mentioning to me the name of the man who had all of the Marx Brothers movies. I just remembered his name in the middle of that. <sighs> on, the, on that Saturday, and called him, and he brought down the film, and it was 16, and we had to change projectors. The reel fell off the... Oh. Mm. If you could hear the tape of Carnegie Hall, <laughs> the screaming of the audience at everything he said was so far beyond the mega of whatever of the recording studio, we could hardly use any of that. Oh, really? No, who can tell that better than I can, because he was in the audience. I was backstage shaking in my <laughs> boots, my shoes, my high-heeled slippers. Yes. Uh, Tom Wilhite, who had produced the uh, concert in Ames, Iowa. 
did he write to um, Groucho with some kind of stationery? Yeah. And we expected him to be Saul Hurok. <laughs> and when he met us at the plane, we, he said, I'm Tom Willow. We said, very nice to meet you. Where's your father? <laughs> <laughs> you know where he is now? He's an executive at Disney. I think he's head of publicity or television or something. Yeah, I guess he's really getting up there. Oh, he's wonderful. He's wonderful. Bright, bright man. Mm. Groucho said... Well, he got such a kick out of Will Hyde. He said, he's like Gary Cooper and Mr. Whatever's it goes to Washington. Do you remember? Mr. Smith and goes to Washington. And he's really sincere. Yeah. And he really and he starts to fill a bust here and finally he wins at the end of the movie. Mm-hmm. That's Will Hyde. He's, you can just tell he has that kind of fiber and character. Oh, really? Charming man. Boy, I guess, I don't know. He's a man now. It's hard for me to think. <laughs> the time has gone by. He, uh... So you chose wisely, after all. Well, that's the kind of luck Groucho had. Mm-hmm. He used to tell me. He would talk about his will. I was talking to Zeppel last night on the phone. And okay. Zeppel started talking about his will. You're in my will. I said, you're not dying, Zeppo, and if I can't get it out of you when you're alive, I don't want it when you're dead, honey. And that's exactly the way I spoke to Groucho. I mean, that business about a will would just drive me nuts. I know. It's terrible. Oh. Uh, so then he would always say, guess what, I'm leaving you in my will. And I would say, please. And he would say, I'm leaving you my luck. Oh, great. That's, that's really nice. <laughs> It's one of my favorites, too. Where is it? Yeah, How can it. I recognize it when I find it? <laughs> well, it'll show up eventually. eventually. I hope so. I'm waiting. <laughs> mm. You remind me a little bit of Will Hyde. I do? Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm. Kind of quiet stability. Oh, mm-hmm. thanks. See, people of that sort of, of Midwestern moral fiber and substance of character do very well in places like California, because, first of all, they don't have any interest in drugs. Mm-hmm. Everybody else, I think, in this whole town is on something. I mean it. Mm-hmm. That was my number one major problem in that house, when we would have large groups of people would be sniffing out who was smoking marijuana and kicking their asses out. Mm-hmm. That was the really? number one most important rule. No scandal at Groucho's house, period. Mm-hmm. And Sure enough, sometimes you'd go in the bathroom, someone's been here, you know. And I didn't like to be the policeman. And so Dina would take that. What we did was we put, uh, we had every bathroom door had a key that opened it from the outside. Mm-hmm. That's a good idea. And we would just knock and say, we're coming in, you know. Hmm. Must have uh, so, got rid of quite a few guests that way. No, At first, no, no, no. They understood. It would oddly enough be people that the strangest people. I wouldn't name names, but people you wouldn't expect at all, hmm. who wouldn't realize that 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 was a rule. That was Groucho's rule. He didn't want any kind of scandal like that. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't have hurt him. I don't believe any kind of scandal would hurt him. Just was the rule. It's a good one, too, especially with a man that old. I just didn't want that National Enquirer kind of crap yeah. going on. And I, well, I mean, I didn't. He didn't. I speak as if I'm speaking for myself, but actually I was following orders, and I thought they were very 
very carefully thought out. Mm-hmm. You know, he talked one way. He used to talk about he and Garson Kane used to smoke grass and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> Arbor tried hops once. And, but he was a very, very, very... Um, moral is not the right word. Ethical doesn't even begin to cover it. He was healthy in a very clear way. Mm-hmm. He didn't mind people getting drunk, but they wouldn't be invited for a while. That mm-hmm. kind of thing. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Straight-laced, I think. Yeah. Much more straight-laced than Zeppo. Oh, yeah, I can imagine. Zeppo's a wild man. Mm-hmm. Tons of fun. Mm-hmm. Now, now Groucho was every, every bit as much fun, but much more um, like the parent of Zappo, like the parent of the Marx Brothers, like oh. the one who yeah. made sure they always yeah. had money. Of course, he was much older than Zeppo. Ten years. Yeah. So, um, when Groucho went out to, to work occasionally, such as on the Mer Griffin show, did he really enjoy it that much that he made a point to make so many appearances within a month or so? Oh, no. Or is it just when the urge hit him? Well, he was always asked, you know. Yeah. It was a standing invitation any time he wanted to go. Right. But unless we had a reason to go. Mm-hmm. He didn't like seeing himself towards the last on television because he didn't like seeing himself so old. Right. That's why the concerts at home were so important. He was much better on his own turf. I can The difference really, between day and night. Yeah. I would explain to the staff of the show that... He was, the car was to drive up, and he should walk right in and right onto the stage, and they should film him. No, what they would do is they would bring him in, they'd give him a dress, and he'd have to be there at 10. Then everyone would go to lunch, and then everyone would find out he was there. Mm -hmm. Arthur Godfrey and his 80 people would come in and say hello. Mm -hmm. By that time, he would be exhausted. Yeah. Because he'd have to give the performance there. Yeah, I, I've heard of a couple cancellations. I guess he was going to be on Cotter once. No. No? Well, I'm wrong about that. No. What about... I know we sued him once. Did? Yeah. I don't know what happened to the lawsuit. Mm. I think they withdrew. They Yeah, Cotter quoted his voice on a record. In his voice said some nasty remark. Oh. Uh-huh. Some dirty remark. Uh-huh. That Groucho totally disapproved of. Mm. Oh. And they had to... It's good that he kept an eye on things like that, you know. And all these kids would bring this stuff. Oh, it's pretty hard to miss out on anything, I imagine. Yeah. Um, Did he entertain frequently at home with his old films? Oh, yes. Did he? And he enjoyed watching the people watching him. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. He he really enjoyed watching the March Brothers movies. All, All of the quiz shows, anything. He was his own worst critic, though. He oh. would correct himself, and that was good because it would really bring back, uh, particularly for working on the books, mm. bring back the memory of exactly what should have been done there and what was going on and where Calvin was sitting and <laughs> what Calvin, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah we just had 16 mm-hmm. millimeters. When I heard about Andy Marks having the job of sorting out all the old quiz shows, mm-hmm. boy, was I envious of him. You know. Well, if he would have been here, you probably would have gotten the job. <laughs> Don't say that. You're mm. crazy. That was a tough job. I think pretty boring. Mm. It helped the book. Of course, the film never came out, no. which is too bad. 
would there have been a problem in that you've got 16 millimeter prints to work with and what you have is probably toyed with? No, there are really good prints and in fact oh. what's happened is some, some angel, some guardian angel watching over me in Groucho, I don't know where this stuff came from, but just an army of incredible, incredible memorabilia showed up. I sat at the bank with tears streaming down my face. I don't know who gave all of this stuff. Must have been Mr. Goodell and uh, Bob Dwan. I know Zeppo did. They did this for me because they knew how I had worked at trying to gather an appropriate collection for the Smithsonian. Mm. And you should see it. I mean, it's all in beacons, but uh -huh. it's at this, this thick. <sighs> Things I dreamt of getting and never knew how. Just scripts, and I think Brecker and all of the writers and Nat Perrin, I think everyone really felt that this might help boost my morale, mm -hmm. and they really loved Groucho, and they really understood mm. that Groucho wanted to leave some kind of a, of a library, and perhaps, you know, the Smithsonian will take such good care of it and catalog it so well. I would hope so. And they will uh, probably allow him an exhibit and move it around and different things, you know. I think it was a good choice on his part. Actually, the, su the suggestion of the Smithsonian was made by the daughter of Jules Stein, who owns MCA Universal, Jeannie Vandenhugel. She was a house guest and uh, said, oh, this would be so good for the Smithsonian. And Groucho just leapt at it. Oh, my God, do you think they'd take this <laughs> Would they ever, yeah. you know? So... And that hasn't gone yet, partly because I have to go through all that. Mm. Although I, I think that it's done so well, it can just be shipped. Groucho mm -hmm. was so generous, to a fault, truly he was. He was generous with his children, he was generous with everyone. He never thought of himself at all, in fact. It took quite some effort on my part to persuade him to buy a new wardrobe simply because his clothes he looked like an extra out of guys and dolls. <laughs> and then Sounds once, a lot like his house did when he walked in. Yeah. Mm. Once he started buying those clothes, he loved them. Mm -hmm. and he loved being dressed up. Yeah, I can imagine. He looked and adorable. And he loved wearing that, that award he got from Oh, France. the French government. Yeah. I have that, yes. Good. Not the big one. That goes to the Smithsonian, just the little boutonniere. Oh. But that was his most treasured yeah. possession. What about his Oscar ceremony? His Oscar goes to the Smithsonian. Yeah. But what happened during the ceremony itself? The car broke down, right? On the oh, way. God, that was amazing. Why did these things happen at the most critical? Oh, my. When we were going to France, we were going to, first of all, to Iowa, then to New York, to Carnegie Hall, mm -hmm. then to France. So we were packed. Martha was driving us to the airport. We had Steve Shapiro from Life magazine, the whole crew from A&M Records, Marvin Hamlish, the piano player, a press agent, Martha. We were all putting the tr stuff in the trunk of the car, put all this, we were taking her car, she had a big Cadillac, mm -hmm. and uh, slammed the trunk, let's go, where are the keys? In the trunk. So we got the auto club up there, and they got a locksmith, I mean, like, we had 40 minutes to get there. <laughs> and this guy is, like, cracking his safe. Oh, no. <laughs> it's true. Always, always we got into those kinds of jams. 
Like when we were in the hotel in France, mm -hmm. we were trying to avoid the paparazzi camped outside his hall. And so we got in the dumbwaiter, mm -hmm. and the dumbwaiter got stuck. <sighs> so we sat in the dumbwaiter for about an hour while Louis Mal and a whole bunch of French cameramen tried to get us out. <laughs> Jesus. Such nonsense. <laughs> How Groucho endured through these kinds of oh, situations. Oh, fine. Placidity. He was totally used to that. Mm. Years ago, years ago when I first met him and saw that house and everything, I said, I think you should either burn this house down or sell it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and we went to dinner at Jason's with Pauline Kale from The New Yorker. Mm -hmm. And we were discussing this possibility. And Pauline Kale has a great big mouth. And she was talking about how great the Ritz brothers were. You can imagine how popular she was with them. Yes. <laughs> that subject. And she lit into me about how you can't move old people. And this was a crime and he couldn't move and so on. And I didn't know her at all. And I was thinking that I had done completely or suggested completely the wrong thing. Mm -hmm. He wasn't particularly taking me seriously. Anyway, we were just talking. Mm -hmm. And because he wanted a nice little house like mine, which is really all he needed could be in a ritzier part of town. Mm -hmm. That would have saved so much staff and all that crap. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I thought for a long time about that. He seemed better when he was on the move. He traveled very, very well. I would be just whacked right out. I remember when we got to France, I couldn't even see straight, and he was just running around. <laughs> really? He wasn't even tired. Hmm. All those years in the road still carried him he through. He would improve. I was criticized as if I had taken him off on trips to damage his health. Oh, no. No, it no. was the very opposite. He blossomed. Mm -hmm. He was up at 8 o'clock and walking in Central Park, back in the hotel suite, going to a matinee, meeting three friends for dinner, going to another show. I mean, he just... He just loved that kind of activity. He would get overtired and not know he was. Mm -hmm. You know, I'd know that he was being cranky. Yeah. And he'd have to be very, very, very diplomatic about how tired I am. And he just couldn't drive me to another show for so long. And if, if he really cared for me, he would understand that mm -hmm. and not go without me. Mm -hmm. You know, that got to be yeah. very... Yes. Well, you certainly knew how to handle him for his own and best And he knew how to handle me. You know, this business about undue influence, that's love as far as I'm concerned. Mm -hmm. He unduly influenced me to love him. And I did the best I could mm -hmm. to, to go... He was, a, he was a real tyrant, you know, about things, too. My goodness, if he saw a sparkle in my eye in a young man, oh. Oh, I'd be called into the room. I've been thinking about this, and I've decided that it's time you married. It would be very difficult for me. Well, and he, what he was saying was, the subtitles were, if you so much as look at that guy again, I'll break your arm. <laughs> <laughs> you know how to read between the lines. <laughs> oh, sure. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and then, of course, the, the code, the code that we had, the way we could talk without anyone knowing what was being said was great fun. Mm -hmm. Really great fun. How did that go, exactly? When he would give money to Georgie Jessel, he would call up the accountant. And the accountant would get the money. It wouldn't be much, two or three or four hundred dollars. And I would go and pick it up and count it out, put it in an envelope. He would count it, put it in his pocket. In order to tell him that I had done this, I would say I laid the doctor. 
And that meant I've got the money. Mm-hmm. Well, can you imagine three nurses in court testifying that I made oh. the doctor? Great. Well, I mean, always, you see, it had to be that kind of a code for him because that's the kind of a thing he could remember. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He always had his little joke. I mean, you can never take him seriously. And when you did, you just misconstrue exactly what he's meaning. Sometimes you have the opposite meaning that he meant. Exactly. And to get to know him very, very well. And, and I can't even begin to express to you, I know you know what I'm talking about, but two people who know each other very well, who understand yeah. that yin and yang, mm-hmm. just have that kind of a rapport. Dina has often mentioned to me that she has sat through uh, lunches and things where she knew this was going on. And it wasn't a mean thing. It wasn't leaving them out. Mm-hmm. It was simply private. Right. And it could be about health problems or any number of things. Mm-hmm. Um, that he just wanted to have his privacy about. Sure. So you were as confident, more or less, at all times. There was never anyone above you that he would discuss private things with. Oh, I think Gummo and Zeppo. Oh, Gummo and Zeppo. Yes, I would be excluded from that. And not, not, I mean, I would exclude myself, too. Mm -hmm. Not ignored. Yeah. uh, That was them, and. They would say, come in, and I'd say, no, I have things to do. Yeah. I think it's really great that that, that whole kinship, that brotherhood, lasted Incredible. so long. Incredible. They had problems, you know, with Chico and Zeppo and everything, but the love was still there. Oh, tremendous. Mm-hmm. Tremendous. A lot of the problems that Zeppo created were created in order to give Gamo and Groucho a, a problem. Who? Oh. Oh, Zeppo's very good about that. They were never really crisis problems. Mm-hmm. They were never that. Zeppo took care of Gummo, you see. He really took care of him every day. I thought it was the other way around, but I guess Gummo was really ill, wasn't he? He was but a Zeppo didn't let him know he was. A while. After the wife died, you know, she was, yes. she was a wonderful woman. Very statuesque. Very, very nice mm-hmm. woman. Gummo's wife. I wish I could have met uh, Gummo. Yes, you would love Gummo. Oh, he was really a dear man. And so very close to Groucho, and they spoke almost every day. I love the story Zeppo told. It's so funny. But what's meant with Arthur is that Ruth was pregnant, eight months pregnant, in the act. She had to do a dance with Zeppo. And they did a mad fandango, and she was so fat he couldn't hang on to her. She oh, landed yeah, yeah. And she flew out of his arms and landed with her zoop up the trombone player or up the trombone up her zoop or whatever. Mm. And that permanently dented Arthur's mind. That's Zeppo's reasoning. Could be. If you know Zeppo. So there you go. And uh, Jay, did you uh, keep in touch with her afterwards? No, I did not. But um, one thing does come to mind. I mentioned flippantly memorabilia. She was very nice about giving me a large color photograph of her and Groucho together. It was a formal shot taken in the studio somewhere. And um, Mm -hmm. I've subsequently either given it away, I'm afraid, or misplaced it. But at the time... Mm -hmm. She's very gracious about that. Now, for further insight in the Aaron and Groucho, please seek out the essential book, 
Raised Eyebrows by Steve Stolweer. Steve was present in the Marks household for much of this time and gives an entertaining and really heartbreaking firsthand account of the era. Personally, I recommend seeking out the audiobook voiced by Steve himself. Okay, on that note, thank you so much, Jay, for being with us, and we're looking forward to your next interview. Well, um, by we, do you mean you and, and me or somebody else as well? We got lots of people downloading them, so I think a lot of people enjoy it. Oh, well, that's, that's really wonderful to hear. I'll be <laughs> talking to you then, Bob. So we'll be back in a few weeks with a brand new Marx Brothers Council podcast episode. And keep on the lookout for future Jay Hopkins interview specials. Please join us in the Marx Brothers Council Facebook group for spirited Marx chat with fans around the world. And as always, some good reviews on iTunes never hurt anyone. So until next time, goodbye, everybody. lady she has eyes that men adore so and a torso even more so lydia or oh lydia that encyclopedia oh lydia the queen of tattoo on her back is the battle of waterloo beside it the wreck of the hesperus too and proudly above waves the red white and blue you can learn a lot from lydia when a robe is unfailed she will show you the world if you step up and tell her where for a dime you can see Kankakee or Paris or Washington crossing the Delaware. <laughs> oh, Lydia, oh, Lydia, say, have you met Lydia? Oh, Lydia, the tattooed lady. When her muscles start relaxing, up the hill comes Andrew Jackson. Lydia, oh Lydia, that encyclopedia, oh Lydia, the champ of them all. For to bet she will do a mosaica in jazz with a view of Niagara that nobody has. And on a clear day you can see Alcatraz, you can learn a lot from Lydia. La, la, la. along and see Buffalo Bill with his lasso. Just a little classic by Mendel Picasso. Here's Captain Exploring, exploring the Amazon. Here's Godiva, but with her pajamas on. Oh, Lydia, oh, Lydia, say, have you met Lydia? Oh, Lydia, the champ of them all. She once swept an admiral clear off his feet. The ships on her hips made his heart skip a beat. And now the old boy's in command of the fleet. For he went and married Lydia. I said Lydia. He said Lydia. I said Lydia.